City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. You are listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, a breaking news edition for Inside the Hive. The Charlotte Hornets have appointed Jeff Peterson as head of their basketball front office department. Um, Chase, the news broke within half an hour ago. Uh, What is your immediate reaction to the news? Yeah, man, I got up this morning, had a nice relaxing morning, grabbed some coffee, sit down on my couch, turn on NBA game time as I usually do for my morning routine when I'm not in the office. And what do I see? other than that the Charlotte Hornets have hired a new fearless leader for their basketball operations department. This has been long rumored. We've had, I mean, at this point, probably like two months of like legitimate substantiated rumors with candidates being named. Jeff Peterson was obviously one of the first ones that we heard of. And over the last couple of weeks, that has developed fully into him becoming the new president of basketball operations. The Adrian Wojnarowski was the first uh, person to report this. And at 35, Peterson has become the youngest lead executive in the NBA. So meteoric rise from, I think he was a scout with the Atlanta Hawks as recently as 2015. He became a basketball ops coordinator for them, was an assistant general manager in Atlanta as well. In 2019, came over from Atlanta to Brooklyn, and since 2019 has been with the Brooklyn Nets in the assistant general manager role. For what it's worth, Brooklyn also offered Jeff Peterson a promotion both in a pay raise and title. He was going to be, I think, the president of basketball operations as well uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. But he passed on it to become the president of basketball ops for the Hornets and basically get to lead his own operation, start it from the ground up, and really put his imprint and build this team in his own image over the next couple of years even. So definitely an exciting time to be a Hornets fan. These last couple of weeks have been like an absolute whirlwind, really since they traded Terry in late January, late January, maybe a little over a month ago at this point, this organization has undergone a sea change and is barely even recognizable from the one that we saw a month ago. So James, what, what was your instant reaction to this and how, how are you feeling about it right now? We were discussing off air. Sorry about that. Uh, that this has happened even quicker than we thought it was going to. Um, you know, normally with this kind of thing, you hear a bunch of names, you then get a kind of a report that there's a short list of two or three kind of who are in the lead getting second interviews. And all of a sudden, like he was appointed, right? Um, I do wonder if this was kind of expediated due to the, you know, Brooklyn aggressively trying to retain Jeff Peterson. And if there was some kind of worry that he his head could be turned back to Brooklyn and, and maybe Charlotte just wanted to get this done right, didn't want to delay anymore, didn't want to risk losing their number one candidate. And everything I'd heard was if Jeff Peterson wanted to be in Charlotte, that he would be. What I hadn't heard was whether that was in the lead decision maker role or as GM, because remember, Jeff Peterson is vice GM, like he's assistant GM in Brooklyn. He is not even GM. He, you know, he is little bit down the pecking order and he has skipped uh you know a job level that a lot of people have to do first to now go to lead decision maker um and that shows that this new ownership group must think extremely highly of peterson who is as we talked about earlier he is almost 40 years or so younger 
than current Mitch Kupchak, who's currently in the role. So um, surprised at the speed of it, not surprised uh, of the person who's been appointed. I think I had him as my my lead, most likely appointee in my top 10 candidates, which I think are ranked in order. So, so not surprised in that. I think Wojnarowski reported that there were 12 candidates interviewed. I, I made a list of the guys who I think we know got interviewed. Tell me if you think I've missed anyone here. It was Mark Eversley, Jeff Peterson, Trajan Langdon, Mike Ganzi, Trent Redden, Austin Ainge, we heard yesterday, and Matt Lloyd. That is a that is a total of seven names that we know of. So unless I've missed any that I've seen publicly out there, um, I, I, I don't know who the other five are and would be very interested to see if they were out there. We heard Elton Brand ruled himself out relatively early in the process. Have I missed anyone, Chase? Not anybody that's been publicly named anyway. I, I mean, I'm sure that there are tons of people they've talked to behind the scenes about this type of thing. But yeah, I mean, I've, of all the names that were floated, I, I think we covered them all right there. And Jeff Peterson was the one that prevailed. So that's the only one we got to remember now. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing is what type of front office lead is Jeff Peterson? You know, looking at his background in history, you have certain front office leads who have a background in analytics. You have certain ones who maybe have a background in scouting. You have the certain ones that may be like a, a player uh, and they come through that that pathway. It really seems like Jeff Peterson's strengths have been as a, as a as draft scout. That seems to have been what he led on in Atlanta as he got more experience. And in Brooklyn, Sean Marks essentially let him lead the draft process. Um, so that's definitely interesting that when this team talk about, you know, drafting talent, that's how we're going to team build. This appointment would seem to chime with that. We haven't got a salary cap guru. We haven't got an analytics guru. We have someone whose background is in scouting and leading on the draft process. Um, so, I mean, we're going to look at the Brooklyn Nets recent draft history uh, during this episode, uh, because I think that will be a good place to start. But what I do want to say is about, you know, front office positions, it's very difficult to say they are good or bad or how to attribute success or failure because what we see pu publicly is 1% of everything, okay? It's like an iceberg. It is a tip that you see. And there is so much underneath the surface that you don't know. So obviously the Brooklyn Nets right now are probably in a little bit of NBA no man's land. They don't, they've lost their star players. They gambled. It didn't quite work out for a myriad of reasons. Um, and their last couple of drafts that we'll get into haven't been, you know, absolutely popped to have been exceptional, but it's always hard to know how much to attribute success and blame around that. You know, you look at Mitch Kupchak before he came to the Charlotte Hornets, had great success with the Lakers. Or was he in an organization that found itself in a good position and he was able to have success, right? There's always arguments either side. So we're probably not going to come on here today and say that Jeff Peterson was the perfect appointment or was a disastrous appointment. What we're going to try and do is help teach you a little bit about who Jeff Peterson is, what his philosophy is, what his track record is. And then ultimately it will be up to, to Jeff Peterson to prove as the years go on here, um, whether he's the right candidate. Um, anything else you want to add there, Chase? Well, you just highlighted it uh, a couple of minutes ago as well. Um, I, I remember at the beginning of this process, the Hornets stated or the, through a, I, th I believe it was Rod Boone that uh, reported this in the Observer in an article of, like um, probably a month ago at the beginning of this search, 
was that the Hornets front office are looking for two individuals to fill the role of president of basketball operations, which is what Jeff Peterson was just appointed to, and along with general manager. Right now, Mitch Kupchak holds both of those positions in one. It's kind of like a two-for-one. He essentially has full autonomy over the front office, him and himself. Now, in the future, Jeff Peterson will be you know, the overarching president of the basketball operations that go on in Charlotte. And then he will perhaps hire, or maybe the organization will hire, a general manager to work either alongside him or underneath him, make collaborative decisions, and just kind of get like another basketball mind, another perspective in the building so going forward. Because this team is obviously not, you know, ready to contend. So they're going to need to build some, you know, add some more pieces to this roster, continue building around the players that they have here now. And you're going to probably want a couple different minds and a couple different perspectives looking at that going forward so that you can build yourself into a successful team ultimately. Because we've seen in the past that with the current Hornets regime and the setup that it has now, it has not been the most fruitful in terms of on-court success or at least sustaining on-court success for years at a time. So I'm very interested to see going forward, like how that process unfolds or if mm -hmm. they even, you know, maintain that viewpoint, like maybe in this interview process, they liked Jeff Peterson so much and they like really appreciated what he brought to the table. And part of him taking this job was that maybe he isn't going to have a GM. Maybe he's the president of basketball ops and the GM all in one, or maybe they're going to hire somebody that he's worked with in Brooklyn or has a close relationship with on another team. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to see how that is filled in the next, I imagine would be like a couple weeks or so. I mean, if they've made this hire now, I can't imagine they're going to, you know, maybe drag their feet on, on filling out the front office. So definitely something to keep an eye on here. And maybe yeah. the rumors of the front office, you know, additions and appoint appointees are not done yet, even if Jeff Peterson is the lead man in charge right now. Yeah, and I wouldn't rule out one of those other 12 candidates they interviewed also being brought in, you know, to, w along with Jeff Peterson, right? Now, obviously, someone would have to be, you know, happy with moving to be essentially a, a number two decision maker. And maybe some of those candidates are looking for that that lead role. And that's really what they wanted. But there are some names in there who might be interested in, in a new project. You know, this new ownership group just announced the other day they're putting in more money to the new practice facility to really make it kind of like a world-class facility and like money talks. Okay. So even if it is a sidestep position for someone, uh, you can look at the Charlotte Hornets. They've got some good core young players. They've got a lot of financial flexibility moving forward. They've got draft picks and they've got some new owners who are being ambitious and are pumping money in. If someone offers a, a sizable raise, I can understand it's not the worst situation to go to, you know, even though you look at the record, uh, but but looking forward, it's quite an interesting blank canvas, I think, for someone to work with. Maybe if you're working for a team like the Bulls or another organization where there doesn't really seem to be a, a path forward here. Um, interestingly, Peterson is someone with links back to ownership. So he is, you know, close links to Rick Schnell because they were both in Atlanta at the same time. So that's obviously something here. We talk about the NBA being a people business and it's who you know. That is massively important here, that they already had a relationship, uh, a rapport. Um, obviously, he will have seen Peterson in his role in Atlanta, will have been impressed with him. Um, I think that's interesting. And what we start already thinking about is coaching going forward, right? You know, who are the guys who Jeff Peterson has links to? Well, I want to throw out two names just to start here. And I know we might be getting ahead of ourselves. One is Mike Budenholzer who Jeff Peterson worked under in Atlanta during that period where Budenholzer 
was also leading as kind of leading the front office. I think after Danny Ferry had to step down um, after the, the, the remarks of the World Day. Um, so that's interesting. Okay, obviously a massive, massive fish. I imagine there'll be a lot of playoff contenders who don't go as far as they want this offseason who might be interested in Budenholzer. But that is, you know, a person who has ties. The second one, Chase, brace yourself, Kenny Atkinson, who was the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets when Jeff Peterson went there and has ties to him as an assistant coach uh, back in Atlanta. And this is a quote, a very interesting quote that I found where uh, Jeff Peterson was talking about Kenny Atkinson. And this is the full quote. Just an unbelievable worker, very good person, somebody who grinds and is unselfish. He has the approach that he wants to be the best. He would be in the gym at 5 a.m. running barefoot on the court and he's on the bike and he's watching film. Just his dedication to being the best. It's something I really respect. And if you want to be successful, then that's the level of work you've got to put into this thing. He's relatable. He played. And I think guys gravitate towards him because of his authenticity. So straight away there, you're talking about someone who clearly has a strong relationship with Kenny Atkinson. Um, and that is something that obviously, would the Hornets ever go back down that rabbit hole from a couple of summers ago and reapproach Kenny Atkinson? I wouldn't rule it out. It would be hugely embarrassing, right, in some ways. But equally, we've already seen this is a people business and he has links to Kenny Atkinson who already had some level of interest, at least in the past, in coaching in Charlotte. Something just to look out for. And I actually, you actually make a very strong point right there too. He had interest and the things that he was not interested in being a part of are no longer a part of the organization. Like, I believe the exact reason that he did not take the, or backed out of that job, because he, he did take the job, but he backed out of it within days of taking it was, I mean, A, because he was on the Warriors and they had a chance to obviously to win a championship, which they did and thought that they could win more going down the road. But B, I believe the, it was rumored that the Hornets were not willing to give him the budget that he requested for his assistant coaching staff. And then as a result, he was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to get the guys that I want, which means like down the road, what other things am I going to have to kind of give up for, in order for the front office to save money or something? that's obviously not going to be the case anymore. Like you just brought up at the practice facility, the, the new owners, uh, Gabe Plotkin and Rich Snall, they are giving that money out of their own pocket, like to enhance this practice facility. It's not coming from the city. It's not like a, lo a long-term investment from, you know, minority owners that they rounded up and asked for a bunch of money. They just did it themselves because they wanted it to be better. They wanted to have a world-class facility that, you know, aligns with, not only other NBA teams, but is better than every other NBA team and can be an example to set around the league. And I mean, I, ju I just think going down the line, like Kenny Atkinson, like if he re-interviewed for this job, I think a lot of the things that he backed out of it for would not just simply wouldn't be present within the organization at all, much less like something that he would have to be concerned about. Like the, fr the front office that interviewed him won't be there. The ownership that interviewed him won't be there. Half of the roster that he would have gotten when he took that job over won't be there. And you have to imagine that LaMelo was one of the attractive pieces. He will be there, along with Brandon Miller, Mark Williams, so on and so forth. So I actually I do kind of agree with you that maybe it would be like embarrassing, I guess, in some ways, or the fans might give you a little bit of backlash for being like, well, come on, you couldn't keep this guy two years ago and 
we could have just skipped this whole process over the last couple of years. But from his perspective, and especially from the front office's perspective that knows him, it's definitely a path that I wouldn't be surprised at all if they not only explore, but get pretty far down. Yeah. And and if he did take their role second time around, I think that would at least be a sign of the improved organizational health mm-hmm. of the franchise, absolutely. right? Because he's not taking That'd be the like role. A, the most clear cut sign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chase, I think we have a little bit of a strange connection. Like you're breaking up a bit for me. I don't know if I am for you. So, listeners, viewers, uh, please bear with us. We'll try to work through it as best we can. Um, let's go into a little bit more about Jeff Peterson, the person. Um, played. Basketball at DeMatha High School, a very well-renowned high school basketball program. Played college basketball at Iowa, Arkansas, and Florida State. That's three schools in different Power Five conferences. Supposedly has a lot of connection uh, with coaches and organizations in that program, which has helped him get in a lot of gyms for scouting purposes. Um, And Sean Marks, general manager of the Nets, had this to say about Jeff Peterson. Uh, recently. There are people who can have an honest conversation peer-to-peer. I can have a conversation with the GM. Players can talk to players. Coaches can talk to coaches. Jeff is a rare breed. He can talk across platforms. He can have a very honest conversation with a player. He's had that multiple times. He gets the message across. He's not afraid. And then he'll have the same conversation with the coaches and with the front office and with the ownership. So when you're able to be like that and be true to who you are across all of that and not be afraid, that's a talent. So it really sounds like he is a, you know, his communication and, you know, being able to establish rapport with all aspects of the organization. That is a key thing for any good leader, right? You need to be able to speak to everyone. You need to be able to draw respect. You need to be able to have that trust. That seems like something that Sean Marks really stands out about Jeff Peterson. The ability of a like lead decision maker to like be honest with players while, you know, retaining their buy-in to what the organization is trying to do and making sure that there's still a good positive presence in the locker room and having those honest conversations like, hey man, like maybe this summer we, we haven't gotten what we thought out of you so far. You haven't fit in the way that we thought. We want to put you in a better spot. Like we're probably going to be looking to trade you this summer. Like I'm just going to let you know right now. Like the ability to convey that in like a friendly manner and like a professional setting and to not make someone like, you know, to just turn somebody off from like what you're trying to do there. It's because it, you're, you're affecting their livelihood in these conversations really is, is what it boils down to. And the ability of a guy to handle that type of thing and not come across as like being negative or like too critical and just be more constructive somebody that's trying to help their players out and put them in the best position possible, whether that's on their team or on another team like that, that is the, a true calling of somebody that's going to be, I think a successful leader in an NBA front office. And to hear that from somebody like Sean Marks, who himself has been a successful leader in an NBA front office by all accounts, that is definitely really nice to hear. Yeah. Um, Another thing that Marks talked about, He said that titles don't mean anything to him. So it doesn't matter who has a great idea, whether it's a draft pick, a free agent or whatever, or trade. Jeff is somebody who's a great listener. Um, And I think that certainly helps, you know, if you have a leader that listens to people, and I think that he does that really well, I think that's why his peers look to him. So 
He doesn't. He's not someone who appears to speak down to people, holds authority over people. It doesn't matter if you're the part-time video coordinator. If you have a good idea, he will listen and he'll follow through on that. So again, another key skill for for a leader. Um, we talked about his reputation. Brooklyn primarily being responsible for the draft, like that seems to be kind of his his bread and butter day to day part of his role. Let's dive into that draft history now. Um, so he was appointed in 2020, and in that time, they selected uh, Dayron Sharp in the 2021 draft, along with Raekwon Gray, Marcus Zegarowski, both in the second round, those two, as well as Kessler Edwards. Um, and they also came away from that draft with Cam Thomas. Um, so quite quite the draft class, quite a lot of names coming in there. Then 2022, they didn't have any picks. And then in this latest year, 2023, they came away with Noah Clowney, Derek Whitehead and Jalen Wilson. So that essentially means in his time there, they've not drafted higher than 21st overall, which is where they selected Noah Clowney. So he is coming from a world of selecting, you know, very late in the second round or into the, the kind of mid to late first round, not from selecting at the top of the draft. I'm being really honest, Chase. I'm not very impressed with his draft history in Brooklyn. I'll, ju I'll just be flat straight. I, I don't, what is the best pick from that group? It's probably Cam Thomas at 27, who is like an off-the-bench scorer who has, you know, other strengths, but huge shortcomings too. Clowney, like Whitehead's out for the season. Clowney was one of the youngest players in the draft. Hasn't played much so far this year. Um, if you're trying to look at the draft history to say, hey, what have we got here? I, I don't think you're going to be thrilled. Yeah, I mean... Going through the past couple of years, there is something to be said for the Nets, like not having picked at the top and to get, you know, a rotation player in Cam Thomas out of that, a potential rotation player in Noah Clowney, who's been pretty good in the G League so far, but like you said, has gotten very limited run with the Nets. They run sharp is kind of a little bit bro broken into the rotation with the Nets this year, but now in his third season, doesn't seem like somebody that has a very high NBA ceiling either. So really, he's gotten multiple cracks at it and has only gotten one of those picks as like a bona fide NBA rotation player in the late first round, which you could frame it as a good thing that he was able to get one at all, because there are plenty of teams that draft in the late twenties every year and just don't get anything out of it. But also with the amount of chances that he's gotten there, you probably would like to see somebody at least have shown a little bit more potential uh, other than Cam Thomas so far, but even he has what has become a pretty limited ceiling in this league with the lack of uh, defense playmaking size all that kind of stuff here but i mean going forward obviously this year the hornets are going to have a much higher draft pick than anything that he had with the nets so it's going to be a bit of a different scenario for him both as like a lead decision maker and somebody with the scouting background like i'm very curious to see or to i mean if we learn down the line how involved that he is going to be with this with the scouting process as an individual and with his own thoughts and opinions on the players that he watches because obviously that's how he worked himself into this position and maybe with Atlanta and, you know, in the mid 2010s, I think it was 2015 to 2019 that he would have been working there as like a higher ranking scout or assistant GM. Their draft history wasn't terrible. I mean, they got John Collins in that era. They got DeAndre Bembry in the late 20s, who was like a long term role player for, I think, like six to seven years in the NBA. He's definitely had some hits uh, in his in the entirety of his career uh, as a scout and decision maker. But with the Nets, obviously a little bit of a downturn in the last couple of seasons, yeah. but. Definitely looking forward to seeing what he does with a much higher pick in Charlotte this year. And we'll, we'll see how if, if he can turn yeah, that uh, draft history around going forward too. 
Yeah, another thing that Sean Marks said about Peterson, and you were talking about the scouting process, he said, Peterson's savvy extends beyond just the picks. He points to the way Peterson has run the college scouting department and how he has empowered scouts. So it sounds like he's really had or you know, organizational success, at least perceived success, in terms of even if the picks haven't been great, the the process, getting everyone to be on the same page, organizing, you know, that that's part of this, right? Like there is an element of luck in any draft in terms of who you pick. But if you have good process, you give yourself more chances. Um, what I will say is like looking at his draft history, I don't think this is a situation where like you look at the person's track record and you go, well, we, we have to hire him. Look at his track record. This to me shows again, this was more about the person and their interactions and their trust there rather than necessarily like, you know, someone with a outstanding draft record that basically just point to that and go hire me because look at my track record. That doesn't strike me to be the case in this situation. I very much think it's about all of his links with with the owner and and everything like that. But um, yeah, very interested to see uh, how how this goes here. Um, wh where else should we go next? How about his philosophy on team building? That should be an interesting area, right? So when he was introduced yeah. as vice by assistant GM at the Brooklyn Nets, he was asked what's his philosophy, and like you get the standard little bit of standard GM answer here, but still interesting to see. One of the biggest things is you want to make sure you put as much emphasis on getting the right people in the program, whether that's from a staffing point uh, or a roster compositional standpoint. They work tremendously hard to create a culture here, which is Brooklyn, with good people, people who want to work and who want to be part of something bigger than themselves and can sacrifice and are unselfish. People can fight through adversity, and that aligns with how I think as well. So again, nothing groundbreaking from, you know, in that. That's a lot of GM public speak of sacrifice, hard work, good people. Um, but I think the one thing you can take away from it is it's, you know, very much about who are we, what is the person we are drafting rather than necessarily the talent, the flash. And again, look at Charlotte's draft history. Uh, you've got James Booknight, uh, Kai Jones, you know, some names like that, where if you were putting the person first, they might not have necessarily been the top of the draft board when you're on the clock. Um, so I think that's that's interesting that he's very much bringing that philosophy with him from a scouting perspective. And you're right that every team does, you know, say that and, and you know, GM speak in their introductory press conferences. That will almost certainly come up with nearly every new hire across the NBA, really every sport in general. But the best teams in the league actually embody and live by that. Like you can look at Denver, Boston, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, like all of these teams that are at the top of the conference or at the top of the standings in each conference right now, look through their roster and how many, you know, guys you would describe as like high character, like smart basketball players, good players to have around, like veterans in the locker room, leaders, tough like basketball players that make an impact on the floor regardless of whether or not they have the ball. Like these are the types of players that good teams have and bad teams just don't. We looked two weeks ago, what the Hornets looked like. They didn't really have any guys like that, that you could fit really any of those descriptions. Now they have at least a few more. And even if they're not the most talented players in the world, you can put them on the floor and rely on them to execute whatever it is that Steve Clifford wants them to do in a given moment. They can adjust, they can adapt to whatever role they have to fit in. We're already seeing that over the last couple of weeks that, that's a much better scenario or a much better situation than the Hornets were in. And going forward, like if Jeff Peterson is just bringing more of those players in 
and has that scouting background to where maybe he can identify like a more talented player with those intangible skills, then the Hornets are going to be in a really good shape if those are the types of players they're bringing in. Obviously, you have to be able to put it together on the court and live out what you're saying in terms of bringing these good people into the locker room and trying to build a culture. But it's that's the first step, and the Hornets have definitely taken it so far, and it's more than we can say for the past handful of years. So all positive signs so far. You talked about Steve Clifford there, and interestingly, Steve Clifford also has ties to Jeff Peterson, right? Because Steve Clifford was there yep. as a coaching consultant in Brooklyn last season, and you know, in Adrian Wojnarowski's report, uh, he says that Peterson built a good professional relationship with Hornets coach Steve Clifford. Good is an interesting word because not if I was to write that, I would write strong, like strong relationship. Good relationship almost to me suggests from Wodge, it's like that, like. It's maybe not the the strongest level. It's like you know a good professional relationship, perfectly respectable. So in, interesting choice of good. But um, do you think this opens the door that Steve Clifford could return? Right. You know he has he's he's a, another coach. We talked about links with Kenny Atkinson, Mike Budenholzer. Steve Clifford is also someone who has uh, links to to Clifford as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a it was only like a couple podcasts ago that I, I said keeping somebody with Steve Clifford's basketball perspective and philosophy and the experience that he has in the game around your organization is a positive. Whether or not that's as a coach, yeah, totally up to the new front office to make that decision. Who you can interview to bring in as the next candidate is basically the sole determining factor in whether or not you would keep Steve Clifford as your coach. If you don't like any of the new candidates that you've interviewed, Sure. Just keep running with Steve Clifford because he has a relationship with the front office that's being appointed right now. And obviously it's, it's a good enough relationship to where they could, you know, give it another year or two and maybe get another coach in line to kind of take over once Steve Clifford wants to or maybe wants to retire and move into a consultant role like what he was in in Brooklyn full time, which, again, like even if that's this year, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I, I just think that, like, now that. Clifford has another connection in the organization that wasn't the regime that hired him the first time he was around. It's like a new regime that worked with him in another franchise and has seen this like second chance that he got with the Hornets and still like wants to keep him around and values his perspective and his input like that. That would be very significant to me. I I think it's more likely now than it would have been if they hired uh, Trajan Langdon, for example. I still think what you said is right. I think, I would be very surprised in a world that Steve Clifford signs a new long-term deal as head coach of this team. I mean, just look, this this these new ownership group is going young. They've just hired the youngest lead decision maker in the NBA. And to then 35 years with, old. He's barely older than James and I while we are giving this podcast right now. Like that, stop that's making how me young feel stop making me feel me like what have I done with my life? Like I'm I'm 32 years old. Like I, I'm supposed to be Three years time, supposed to be leading an entire NBA decision maker. Wow. Um, <laughs> but I still think if you, I've said this before, if Steve Clifford were to stay around in a consultant role, I think that like in a similar role as when he was in Brooklyn, that would make some sense. That You know, he has a lot of experience around the sport of basketball. The one thing I will say, it's harder to do that, I think, than when you've been a head coach at a team. Like he's going into Brooklyn. He's never coached the players He's going as an external coach as consultant. 
when you've been there two years and you've got, you know, dynamics, relationships, some of them will be good, some of them probably not so good, right, with the players, it is a little bit harder to be that kind of consultant point of view. So um, I think it's more likely than it was. I would still be pretty shocked. I imagine Jeff Peterson would want to go through his own, his own uh, you know, coaching process. Um, some other things here. I can see in the comments on YouTube from the high vibe. Uh, Nick Claxton going to be a Hornet. Uh, so we talked we talked very briefly, I think, in the past about how the center position, I don't think you can just, with Mark Williams' back injury, you can just look at that and go, yeah, it's fine for next season. Like There, there should be possible upgrades. The Hornets do have some cap space. It's obvious that he does have a relationship with Nick Claxton from his time there. Um, now, all signals are that the Nets are doing everything they can to bring Nick Claxton back. Um, so, it, like, the, the noises coming out through reporting make that sound very unlikely. Um, but if they... Claxton is a guy who probably does make some sense. He would help the defense. He is a more experienced NBA player. You probably don't want Williams, Claxton, and Richards on the roster. But I would certainly be happy to explore a Claxton signing. Again, like, centers on the free agent market. They get paid a lot of money. And he is relatively limited with what he can do. But if they're wanting to add some front court depth, he's one of the better options out there in this free agency. So that is an interesting point there brought up by the high vibe. It's another former Hornet and Brooklyn net, along with Steve Clifford that uh, fans had a very high opinion of over the last couple of years that could potentially be brought back into the fold too. And, and Dennis Smith Jr. Maybe we could just get a whole reunion going here. Just bring everybody back. Everybody that brought any amount of positivity to the team and, the last two years, you just get to come redeem yourself and be a part of the upswing here in 2024-25. Yeah. Well, I'm quite happy with Vasily Micic. I know we had the discussion on the last podcast oh, episode. Oh, yeah. I'm very much happy with Vasily Micic. Um, we're, we're coming towards a close here. One last little thing. I thought this was an interesting nugget. Um, So, Apparently, Jeff Peterson, he keeps what he likes and makes a note of what he doesn't. And that process has helped him formulate his governing style. Peterson keeps a running document on his phone in an app. He'll jot them down while at home or on the team plane, pulling ideas from his experience from books and podcasts. He pulls ideas from podcasts, Chase. He'll have to tune into our off-season preview and our Hi, Jeff. shows. Jeff, thank you. You can add us. If you're looking for that assistant GM role, we'll, we'll happily share the salary between us yeah two for one what's mm -hmm. not to like you, it, we've said before if we combined our draft profiles from the last four years we would have done better than the Charlotte hornets like it's not it's not even a question so oh, yeah. um, uh, he labels the notes thoughts on team building basketball operations and everything else um so again just showing that he has a growth mindset you know it's he, he likes to take things from different people he talks about some of his like Guys that he it takes inspiration from being Danny Ferry, Mike Budenholzer, Wes Wilcox, Travis Schlenk, Sean Marks. These guys who've been in around the NBA front office scene for quite a while, all with massive links, again, to Rick Schnell, because they're all Atlanta-based, apart from, you know, uh, Sean Marks, who came from San Antonio to Brooklyn. But uh, again, wouldn't shock me if we saw one of those names come to Charlotte in some way. It would be, kind of be strange dynamics. You know, Jeff now being the lead decision maker and usurping some of those guys. But, you know, if a Travis Schlenk or a Wes Wilcox or a Danny Ferry have 
got over the kind of pride side and aren't fussed about being the, the person in charge anymore and just are happy to work in the NBA with people they like and they respect and they're happy to work with. I've not, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of those names end up in Charlotte at some point. You might be hauling in a star-studded front office here. These, and, and I think, I just want to wrap up my, my final thoughts on this. So far, Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall deserve a lot of credit. Like, most teams that are in a position that the Hornets are in at, at that trade deadline, a month afterwards, do not have this kind of, like, not even, like, on-court production, win-losses turnaround. Just, like, the way that the fans view them, the outlook that they have as a franchise, they're standing in the city. Like, they, they have done a, not a complete 180 because there's a lot of work to be done in terms of, like, sustaining this success before people really buy in again. But basically every step that they've taken since they took full control of the team over the summer has been a step that you can either say could be right down the line or is definitively right in the moment in building that new facility down the line if jeff peterson becomes one of the better front office executives in the nba they have a guy who's under 40 years old is one of the best at his job in the in the league and could be there for the long haul and develop that sustained success on the court that we've been looking for since what the late 1990s so i mean we've still got a long way to go like i said but everything has looked really good so far and I agree. I, and to that. contrast this to when Mitch Kupchak was hired, I remember that I was shaking my head at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know some people think he's actually done an all right job. Um, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Um, but like the the process here seems right. Young rebuilding team, young up and coming guy who'd been profiled multiple times in recent years. This isn't you know hiring just some random person. Like this is a name that has been. In and around the NBA, he interviewed for the Detroit Pistons GM position when he was age 32. So this isn't the first time that he has gone for a job. Um, and for him to move up as quickly as he can, he, he has to have something about him. Now, I will say, it's very easy to sit here when you've traded away your players for future picks and you're appointing new people to say, oh, it's what an achievement we've you know achieved. This is the easy part, right? Trading people away for picks appointing new people is always going to be a feel-good factor. This decision right now to appoint Jeff Peterson, this will define the next five to eight years of this franchise. And he has no track record as a lead decision maker or experience in doing it. So there is an element of risk here. This isn't a safe pair of hands, right? That you might look at, you know, some other person who's been around for, for multiple years there is an element of risk because this person has never been in this position before. So, look, I am really hope the risk pays off. Everything that I've seen uh, would suggest, you know, that he is an outstanding individual. But I don't want to just sit here and say, well, this is a success because it's a lot more complicated from that. We're not going to be able to make that judgment probably for the next two to three years. Um, what sort of staff is he going to bring in? This isn't just going to be down to him. You know, what sort of networks does he have? from his time in the NBA in Atlanta, in Brooklyn. Um, so I, I agree the trajectory feels up, but every team is in this position when you fire someone, you hire someone new. There's always that sense of progress when in reality you look back sometimes and they are false dawns. Um, I just hope this isn't the case. No disrespect to Sam Presti, but it's easier to be Sam Presti than it is to be R.C. Buford or 
any other GM that's built a championship team in the last decade or so. So I, d- I definitely agree with you. Yeah. Uh, Chase, any any last thing to get us out of here? I can see there's a comment in the chat from Ghost Jay. Do you think Trajan Langdon, Trajan, Tra- ah, Trajan Langdon still has a shot of being in the front office? Um, I would, I would say it's more unlikely than not because he is already a GM working under uh, David Griffin in New Orleans. So this would be a sidestep move more so than a, an upgrade move. Um, if he were to come over, I think that'd be great. Now he is also someone who has a strong interest in like background scouting. That is his strength and with New Orleans. And I would actually say, by the way, that his draft record is superior to Jeff Peterson's has had better position and more assets to deal with. But if you're comparing the two, it's, it's not particularly close. If you bring in a number two, do you want to bring someone who's maybe got salary cap expertise, analytics expertise? Like, do you want a more balanced front office or do you want someone else who has experience in scouting and specializes there? Could you then butt heads, okay, when they both feel like they've got a strong experience in this area? So, look, I think it's possible because of Langdon's links to the organization. Like we said earlier, if you get the checkbook out, you can pretty much get anybody in this business. Um, but I, I would say Langdon was probably gunning for the top job. If they can get both, I think that would be a, a fascinating two-headed uh, you know, front office right there. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely a little bit more unlikely now just because for him to make a lateral move, I feel like it would have to be like the roster that really intrigues him and like the ability to kind of tinker around with it and make the team in his own image, which presumably is what Jeff Peterson is also taking this job to do is to tinker around with Mm -hmm. the roster, however he sees fit. And the guy that works as the general manager working alongside or underneath him or however that would be, you know, ordered in terms of superiority would be someone who's, you know, offering a little bit of a different perspective, which as you just said as well, Trajan Langdon has also came up in scouting and will probably have more of like a, like film grinder, eye test, like former player perspective than, you know, somebody like who would have a an, an innate understanding of the salary cap and, you know, went to law school or something like that. So very interesting dynamic that would be in place if they hired him. And I think it would be like a good hire on the surface, but does seem a little bit less likely now. Agreed. Right, Chase, I think we're finishing up here. Um, nothing, nothing else really more to add. Um, this will be a... It doesn't feel it now. Like these things, they'll they'll come and go. You know, the trades will get more headlines and we'll get more views and we'll get more discussion. But this is a seminal day in the future of the Charlotte Hornets organization. This move right here is the most important one. It wasn't the trades. It's not the next head coach. It is that lead decision maker who has the ear of the owners. Um, I wish Jeff Peterson the best of success. Jeff, if you listen to your podcast, add the notes. You're welcome to come on the podcast as a guest anytime, Jeff. Uh, we can, me and Chase Absolutely. and you can, we can share our mid thirties, early thirties culture stories um, about what it was like being a kid in the 1990s and we can bond over that. But um, that is everything from me, Chase. Uh, thanks for joining me on this uh, immediate reaction uh, breaking news podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Congrats, Jeff Peterson. See you soon. Congrats.